ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, aliens of all shapes, sizes, colors, ages, and those visiting from the shadow realm that wish to listen to our podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the internet's most hated mafia-themed geek podcast, Long Coat Mafia Podcast. It is I, the one, the only Reverend Godfather, a.k.a. the Martinsburg Madman, a.k.a. this show's frontman and main host. Welcome to the last episode of 2023, and the main reason why I'm giving y'all a retrospective episode instead of a main episode with me and Sasha, the Princess of Darkness, and that is because mainly we're still kind of on a quasi-holiday break type thing, and hopefully we'll be back by the new year and we'll have brand new episodes for you at the start of the year so uh, please be patient with us and so because i didn't want to leave you all hanging for these last few days of 2023 i figured at least give some of y'all uh something new to listen to since we have a lot of new listeners that have discovered us uh over this past uh six eight uh, 10 months since me and Sasha teamed up to do our thing. And I figured that uh, have a special episode for all of you guys uh, that might not have gotten deep into our uh, archives. And I don't think I shared this gentleman this for our uh, 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 anniversary month. Uh, if not, I should have or I was at least planning to. And that is uh, lo- a local au- author, poet, um, musician. Uh, that uh, His name is Earl. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce his last name because I'll butcher it. I'll just leave it like that. But uh, I'll say this. He, he's a wonderful gentleman. Uh, I've worked with him in the past on uh, several things. Uh, he, uh, he wrote a... Uh, kind of an autobiography uh, titled I Saw Your Mother Crying. Uh, the link to define uh, to that book will be in the description down below. Um, and it, he's a wonderful, kind-hearted gentleman who deserves a whole mess of respect. If i able to find the extra poster I have um, that was promoting his book, promoting who he is and what he does, I might offer it up as a contest or something like that. Um, but either way, uh, he is a wonderful gentleman. Uh, but before I continue with this, I want to offer up the disclaimer that he initially gave me to read when we first dropped his, his episode back in, I want to say 20, yeah, back in 2017. So this is his disclaimer that he asked me to read to all of you back then in regards to uh, the interview he gave to the show back then. So here's that interview, that disclaimer that he wanted me to read. Dear listening audience, I've asked the Reverend Godfather to convey the following disclaimer, which he so graciously agreed to do. My interview for this podcast with the Reverend Godfather was a fun experience. We covered a lot of topics. I would like for everyone to know that these are my personal views. I don't speak for or represent any of my team or any organization. I apologize in advance 
for anyone offended by the occasional F-bomb. Thank you. Much love and respect, Earl Harrison. Believe it or not, that disclaimer was written by Earl back in 2017. And... Uh, as I am looking around for George to hit the button, let me just say I hope you enjoyed this interview with Earl, who once again is a local author, poet, uh, smoke, spoken word artist, the whole, a whole much, much more a kind-hearted gentleman. So either way, let's get down to this conversation I had back with Earl. I'm not going to include the theme music and anything else. We're going to go straight into that interview. So either way, hey George, hit the button, will ya? Let's get this interview on the road. We'll be right back with more of the Long Coat Mafia podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to a brand new special episode of the Long Coat Mafia podcast. As always, I am your host and frontman for the show, the Reverend Godfather. And with me, on this episode, it is the one, the only, fan favorite, well, at least no one's complained about him yet, Earl. <laughs> so, I, Earl's been on the show, let me just say this before he starts talking and doing his thing. Earl is a poet, spoken word artist, entertainer, amongst many, many other things. He is also an author, uh, you might have heard me mention his book many, many months ago, titled I Saw Your Mother Crying. I'll provide the link to his book, which is available at least through Amazon in our show description. He's a great guy. You've heard, Like I said, you've heard him speak on his show before. You've heard his many, many, what should I say, performances on the show. I'll take it away. Well, say thank I. you. Thank you, Christopher. Hello, everybody out there in listening land. Uh, Chris, I just want to thank you for that incredible <laughs> opening, that intro, and I don't know what to do with it. I just hope that I can live up to your expectations. <laughs> thank you. I always give somebody the best <laughs> best intro as I can. It's part of my job to hype you up, make you smile, and give you some of that energy I want to launch the show with. doesn't always work out, but at least it's there. We start off with a high note. And get it running instead of just dredging on. Well, like so. we used to say in uh, in the church, we've had church. <laughs> Your introduction is really good. So thank you. You've done that. The mojo is rising. It's here. So as I said, you are an author. You did uh, I Saw Your Mother Crying. What, what kind of book is? I described it to our listeners many months ago as a semi-autobiographical or is it a memoir it um it's a memoir it is definitely an accurate and real accounting of my life and uh the situation that was in martinsburg west virginia during the uh 1980s with the cocaine epidemic so it's it's real you know it's a true story and like like i told you before there and i'll say it here on air if there's something you don't a path you don't want to go down, just let me know straight up. I won't go down that path because I don't want you to relive something that you don't want to relive. I okay? I, I totally understand that and I because, respect that. Because I want to at least you are my guest here. I want to at least show you offer you a, a hand of respect. This is uh, listeners that if you do choose to 
pick up this book. I think it, like I said, it's on Amazon. I think there might be a Kindle version of this. Yes. Uh, it is a very, it's a thin book. And it can be read within within about two, three hours. But it's a very heavy read. It's not heavy or, or a hard read like something some people might think, Lord of the Rings is a hard read. This is a very heavy read, meaning it's very emotional. It could be very emotional for some people. And Earl, do you think that this type of book could help? Because it's a story about addiction, do you think it could help other people through the, a similar struggle coming out of that point in their lives as well, seeing how you came out from that similar point? One, one would hope, and I do hope that it has that effect upon people that are in addiction, but what I'm finding out is that it's helping family members, um, loved ones, friends, or just people that are watching the pandemic that is taking place in our area and all across the country now to understand the mind of an addict, you know, why they do what they do, uh, hopefully, and to give those people hope that, uh, that there is a way out, that people can survive alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever the addiction might be, uh, that there, um, there is a flip side to that. And so that for me, is um, one of the things, one of the motivating factors for writing it. One was uh, to be, it was, it was cathartic. It helped to cleanse me. It helped me to put my feelings, my emotions, that experience, our experiences out in front of me to where I could look at them and take the boogeyman out of the closet or away from underneath the bed, so to speak. Because when we keep things hidden and dark, uh, they have this uncontrollable, this, 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 this power over us. But when you bring it out into the light and you begin to share it and to talk about it, then it loses its power and it begins to diminish and it helps one to put things in pro- proper retrospect, hopefully. So uh, was this hard for you to put pen to paper uh, or keyboard to screen or in some ways for the modern audience for you to do because of that? Well, it started out with me just writing down um, memories, thoughts. Little pieces came out as poetry, and then they began to coalesce, to come together, and that's when I actually sat down and began to write the book. So this was part of your healing, or what, what, what was part of you? You're hearing the poetry or the book? The book uh, came first. I guess it's a question like which came first, the chicken or the egg? And uh, I don't think that they can be separated or divided because for me, the process of healing is still continual. I've been set free from drugs. I don't claim that I'm an addict anymore. I've been set free. But the process of, of healing is continuous because there are a lot it's layered there's a lot of deep wounds and uh, hurt that you've caused other people damage collateral damage and so you hope that as time goes by and as you continue to put one foot in front of the other and to live your life and to do the next right thing that you can bring healing to those other areas of your life your relationships and 
just a myriad of other ways. You know, in the community, the way that people view you, the way that they've seen you, uh, people driving by and seeing you on the street corner, hustling, underweight, malnourished, dirty, filthy. And now to see one walking and working and people have a hard time of letting go of the past. Even when God has forgiven us and we've forgiven ourselves, people still tend to hold grudges. And that's understandable because we can become jaded and very cynical in the world that we live in because there are so many players and people play games continuously. So you've seen some, I don't want to say hatred, but some of the haters come out of the woodwork Without naming names or anything like that, you, you've seen some haters in the community in regards to not so much the book coming out, but in your progression from this dark side to a much lighter side. Yes, there, there, there are those people, uh, definitely. Uh, there are um, haters or people that maybe resent what I'm doing, um, don't understand what I'm doing. They don't want to understand, you know. So, yeah, there there are those people, definitely. Um, as we go along, though, I want to say that there have been an incredible number of people in my life that have supported me and encouraged me and been a blessing to me. Like who? Like who? Well, um, give some shout-outs. Yeah, I want to give a shout-out right now to my team. Uh, the first one is Susan Maddox, an incredible lady. Susan came into my life. We, we uh, work in the, at the same place, uh, different positions. Uh, she's a professional, and you know I, I work in housekeeping. And we met, and she decided to be my friend, and it was at a very dark time in my life, Christopher. Don't too many people know this. I was at a point to where I was considering suicide, just ending it. I'd gone through a horrific divorce. I mean, it was horrible. Three words, horrible. And she came into my life and befriended me at a time that was very dark. And people don't really understand our relationship, our friendship. And sometimes I just want to punch. Can I be honest? Yeah, be there honest. There are some people I'd like to really punch in their mouth for some of the things that they've said. Uh, about our relationship, but it's platonic and it's a friendship. And she wears uh, several different hats on the team. You know, as uh, you know, a, a friend uh, first of all, and then also sort of like a quasi manager, um, handler type of person. And so I want to give Susan that respect and that acknowledgement, and her family. And you know, then there's uh, Don Ramirez. Don came into my life at that time, which was about four or five years ago. And I was living in an apartment downtown, and I still live in it. And I had no furniture in my apartment, just a mattress. <laughs> and Don came, and he gave me a sofa. And between Don and Susan, I told Susan one day that I was a writer. She said, well, why don't you write? And I told Don that. He said, well, if you're going to write, then you need to go hang out with the big fishes, go down to Baltimore and D.C. and places like that. And so with their challenging and with their motivation, encouragement, I began to do those things. And um, Deborah and Miles Lee, incredible couple. They're shamans, uh, lettered people, uh, just 
incredible. They've been a blessing to my life and have spoken into my life so many powerful things. Nick and Christina Antonetti, I wouldn't be at this place, the team wouldn't be at this place, I think, right now without Nick and Christina in my life. I believe that the universe has tied all these people, all these paths have come together for such a time as this. And so I really want to thank Nick and Christina, Colleen Farrell, who always has something powerful and beautiful to speak into my life and encouragement. And these people aren't yes people. They challenge me and they kick my butt when it's necessary. I've met, uh, you know, I've met Don, spoken to Don several times. Yes. Uh, and through you, I've met Nick and his wife. Both are, I'll say this, Don is a, in a positive way. I don't know if you'll listen to this or not, but he is a character yes. uh, in his own right. Yes. He's got his own unique energy. And Nick has does have and his wife especially Nick I've hung out through you with Mm -hmm. Nick several Mm -hmm. times he does have that unique energy about him Mm -hmm. where it comes from I don't know (laughs) but he does have that unique energy yes yes yeah he's a he's an Aries he's Nick is actually in the studio and we'll talk about this a little bit later um editing the book, I Saw Your Mother Crying, we've uh, finished the uh, the recording of it, my part of it, and now he's editing. And we uh, hope to go back in and reread some wherever I need to go back in, but we're close to releasing that, so we're really excited about it. And there is also Tiffany Koch. She's just an amazing lady uh, that has supported me and encouraged me. My peeps at CRRC, where I work at, just like the whole building almost, have, have been there to support me, encourage me, uh, pat me on the back. Um, they, that type of support is needed, and I, I really thank them for it. Uh, my friend Will Gunn, uh, Julia Hauser, Lisa Olney, Ed Zonizer. There are just so many people, Jody, that have encouraged and blessed me along the way, and I wouldn't be here where I'm at, I think, uh, without those people in my life and on my team. And there's accountability all along the way. Yeah, I think that we all need that. No man is an island, Christopher, no man. And I certainly am not, and I wouldn't be alive and here today and experiencing the success that I'm experiencing without, as I said, Susan, Don, and on down the line, and yourself. You have been a blessing. You've always been there to uh, record and do things and to assist. You were with us with, I saw your mother crying, the uh, the recording. Some of the, the yeah. earlier days. Mm-hmm. And it, I won't, I, it's like, for a little bit with me, it was like, wait a minute, you guys, well, life happens. Uh, that happen. That does happen. And being a part of the early days of the audio book recordings, seeing you, we me and Nick, uh, this is just being humorous. We almost had to tie you to that chair because you are a performer through and through. And it was a way of Nick. We, we all had to learn how to do an audiobook flat out. And it, some of the instructions is, well, you have to pretty much stay or sit still. You, you have your own <laughs> unique energy that you couldn't sit still. You had to perform. I might have to that for you folks at home. I might have to share it from my personal page. The little video of Earl reading a children's book <laughs> to the show's page on Facebook. 
just performing this, not just standing there reading this children's book, just performing it. And it just to see Earl just perform. That's why, for many of you who do listen, since the beginning, love Earl, and said he's got to keep coming on because of his voice, what he does. And I've said that to you too when I first met you and heard you recite your your work. That if it was somebody else and it didn't come off a certain way, I would have been turned off. Mm. And I mean that in an honest way because there are many many things out there that I use the example way back in the day when I was doing a lot of flea markets one particular flea market a lot of people who've done it know the flea market and been part of that circuit know the flea market I'm talking about dude was a bluegrass singer badly Uh, to put it like this you and I know about William Shatner and his spoken word aspect of music. Worse than that. (laughs) And he used to play it nonstop from the moment the flea market opened to everybody left. Mm. And the announcements, I said something in Double Tollgate one one day, just walking through, and they had a similar announcement. I got a, a flashback. I said the name of the particular flea market, and the vendor just turned to me and went, you too? Uh-huh. Just that casual, you too? Uh-huh. But the aspect of him being a bad bluegrass artist and a few many years later seeing the better bluegrass artist made me appreciate the, like, if I heard this group way back in the day, I would have probably went that route and enjoying that music mm-hmm. and be more of a fan. Yes. And here it is, maybe several years beyond that point, seeing you perform at Good Natured here in Martinsburg, mm. saying, hey, you don't suck. And I mean that in a, in a completely <laughs> good way, meaning that I wasn't turned off like I right. don't want to experience this again. Right, right, right. Um, I've experienced um, that on several occasions, I did a show several years ago at Farm Colony. Deborah and Milesley, I was there visiting them, and they had set everything up to where I could do a show. And there were people that lived on Farm Colony that expressed that they didn't like poetry. But I was um, doing a Tai Chi class with a lady, and so she said, so you're the poet? And I said, yeah. She said, well, do a piece. And I did. She said, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like poetry, but I'm coming to hear you. So I feel so blessed and humbled by remarks like that. But if I accept that praise, I have to first give honor to God for giving me the gifts that I have and to my mom. My mom used to, she had eight kids and we lived in the ghetto in Cleveland, Ohio. And there wasn't video games then. There wasn't. There were movies, but oftentimes you couldn't take your children to the movies. And so, how do you entertain all these children? She would read to us. She would take us to the public library. We would walk there and look like a family of ducks walking around us, following our mom. And um, we would all get books. Come back with an armload of books. And my education outside of the public schools was at my mom's knee and she would act out 
the stories that she was reading, whether it was from uh, the, the Grimm's fairy tales, Little Black Sambo, whatever it might be, uh, she would act it out, act these stories out, and put so much energy into it. And she had our rapt attention. And she would tell us stories about the coal camps when she was growing up, and stories about her father, her grandfather, her brothers, the men and the women in the coal camps. And she would just keep us fascinated and enthralled by those stories. So if I have gifts, Chris, I have to first give honor to God and to my mom. And learning, so part of your recovery was not only the book, but learning about poetry and its in-depth for many, to, for those of you out there, poetry, you, the, the, I think the technical definition of it is something that is in meter, meter or rhyme. Which means it has a beat to could have a beat to it. Not it's not just here I sit broken hearted, you know, uh, which is more of a limerick. But just <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of uh, some of us here at the show are not as talented as Earl, but or a lot of people out there who do this. But that what doing this? What have have you discovered the difference between regular poetry because they're, they're in recent years, there's not just spoken word, but you have poetry and slam poetry. What's, in your eyes, what's the difference between the three? That's a great question and one that I've thought about, one that I've been confronted with. Uh, in some poetry circles, I'm not a poet. And in some slam circles, I might be considered the same way. But... A friend of mine asked me, uh, Jay Trumbo, we talk about music and everything, and she said, well, Earl, uh, what you're doing, and we've talked about working together, she said, what will we call it? I said, I don't know, but it's got Appalachian roots. And it's got, you know, I, I have a piece called Blue Collar Jedi, and it talks about that mixture between the city and the country, so what's evolving is basically something new. I was bathed in traditional poetry and all the the historical poets. Uh, I had an incredible education in Martinsburg, West Virginia, and its school system. I know that we get slammed sometimes, but the education I received and what I was introduced to laid the groundwork. So I have this, this romantic, chivalrous type of uh, thing that weaves its way through my poetry, but then also there's what came out of the 60s and the 70s, the rebellion, you know, the 80s, and my life, my experiences with the drugs. So exp expressing that has woven itself in. So it comes across in a lot of different ways. I'd like to share a piece with you because what drew me into actually starting to write about 12 years ago was a contest that was held at the Daily Grind by a gentleman named David Heatwall, who's an incredible artist and human being. And he invited, challenged people in the community to write pieces about his different paintings that he had hung in the Daily Grind. And so I picked one of his pieces, and it was called Coming to the Light. And this is Coming to the Light. Before there was a day or a night, before the sun, the moon, or stars ethereally bright, there was you, the eternal circle of light. 
without a beginning, never to end. In search of you, I have traveled all my life, from conception and darkness in my mother's womb to birth in an antiseptic, cold, and sterile room. Clothed in water and blood amidst strangers, professional, close, yet distant. Born a child of death with my first intake of breath. In its release was a cry for you, Father of light. My journey has been dear at a price exorbitant to pay. The currency has been tears and pain. The measure of success among my peers, fortune and fame. Paid friends have given advice on couches of humanistic philosophies and pagan mantras of mystery, while issuing legal sorcery my soul to entice. At some point, the alluring mirage of the kingdoms of this aeon lost their attraction. No more do I long to be a captain of commerce, buying up and ruling different factions. Yesterday's love has become this morning's heartache. The landscape of my emotions are a nuclear winter. All I know is that my longing for you grows with each day in this life I awake. No more will I eat the bread of shame from the table of the God of this world. Please, I need you to cleanse me. Deliver me from the dark and profane. Emanating force, liquid source, to the fluid river of light I come to bathe. In the light you will heal and not scathe. Naked before you I surrender. To the light I come in brokenness and trust. My former deeds no more to remember. Lost in the all-encompassing beauty and love of the light. And folks, that is Earl. <laughs> Proving that he could do something way better than I can. Because what you guys don't know is that when... I do try to do read a creepypasta. There is a lot of times I start reading it. I have that that momentum, that power that Earl has shown in this piece. Then all of a sudden, fuck! <laughs> Redo, edit, son of a bitch. <laughs> so what's usually a 15, 20 minute episode for you guys that you get enjoyment out of takes me about three hours still. <laughs> but that's Earl, and it shows you how well of a writer he is and how talented he is and so you learning to do this has taken how long to I've evolved Christopher I think that we all want to I had asked my friend Don Ramirez again can a person have one more more than one seminal moment where things are just flowing forth and, and just busting forth. And he said, of course. And the people that don't are usually one-trick ponies or one-hit wonders, so to speak. And so because of the people that are brought into my life, the different venues that I am performing at, it constantly keeps me at this place to where I want to create, that I want to do, that I'm hungry. This is my passion. And so I guess... It's always been a part of my life. Growing up in Cleveland, we used to play this game, and even here in Martinsburg, it was called The Dozens. And you would talk about people's parents and their moms, and, and it was you were allowed to do that you know, because it was a game that we would play, and sometimes it would end up in fights. 
you know, to where you'd be talking about people's parents and then the next person would rhyme and everything. And so rap, I believe, <clears throat> and slam sort of flowed out of that to where you were talking about other things other than one another's parents. One of the pieces that I wrote and that I perform is called Blue Collar Jedi. And it's my signature piece. And our team is sort of uh, woven around that, the Blue Collar Jedi team. And it was an, an announcement after all the darkness when I started to come out of the suicidal thoughts and the darkness of that time. I was writing a lot of really dark pieces. And so I wrote a piece saying goodbye to that, finalizing that, and then taking off in a new direction. And the piece that I wrote about saying goodbye to the darkness is a piece called Frenzy. I'd like to share that with you. Go ahead. Frenzy. The professional mourners, jackals, and hyenas gather and circle the devastation of my life. Laughing, snorting, sniffing the breeze, Discordant squeals and grunts, sounds of Arkham fill the air. They are drunk with the smell of death and sorrow. Hypocritical plastine tears flow from eyes alight with carnivorous greed, staring with rapacious lust at fallen, broken, empty dreams. Hands of consolation carry knives, forks, and spoons. The feeding frenzy has begun. I tapped into that darkness again recently because I hadn't written anything dark. And you see people writing dark pieces and um, ugly things. And it really, it, it sort of scared me to know that I had that still in me. But um, the piece that I wrote following that was an announcement that this is who I am this is where we're going and it's called Blue Collar Jedi and actually listening to Lil Wayne and this other guy, some rap artist uh, with this piece that they were doing this song that they had it, it really inspired me and I begin to think about the Rolling Stones and James Brown I got soul and I'm super bad you know, make an announcement about who they are, a declaration. And I felt like I needed to do that. I, I, I declared it, and this is Blue Collar Jedi. City slick, country quick. Don't get it twisted, baby, I ain't no hick. Heartbeat of West Virginia in my veins. I'm coming at you like a coal-powered locomotive train. My mental elemental library is never in a quandary. Life's a supercharged, wide-open prairie. Despite the fact that I was once a distant nomadic disciple of Timothy Leary. I'm Loop Guru, the vivid shadow summoning you. The inky felt tip to your Freudian slip. Meet a mama's boy, now a grown-up show killer, channeling the moves of zombies from Michael's thriller. Designated stalker who hunts your dreams. Heat waves dancing around me causes moisture to steam. I'm Bagheera. Escape from man-made still, roaming wild and free, hunting my breath, ninja breath. On your neck, melting your will. Jungle rules are in effect when I am about. Your defense systems must do their part. Your wing girls must be alien, light, form, smart. 
Rule number one I announced in my best Sean Connery brogue is protect your heart. Rebel with a cause, storming the sacred holds of Eros without pause. The rank outside are going for the win. Let me be your vehicle, baby, and I'll take you for a spin. Hide your true feelings all you want. Your studied indifference is just schoolgirl playground flaunt. A pitcher on the mound throwing strikes with my best stuff. You swing and miss, oh, with a huff and a puff. Next one catches you looking, yep, I'm tough. Have another helping of this down-home cooking. Eye to eye, unspoken words you easily translate. Something for you to ponder late at night when you meditate. Blue-collar Jedi, lover of the secret muse. She who inspires words of light and gold. Demi-goddess of the wild place inside of me called, if the half be told. Again, that was Blue Collar Jedi by Earl. I didn't. I am not twisting Earl's arm in regards to this. Earl has a good <laughs> three to four inches on me, and so he's got one hell of a reach, even though I got the weight on him. So I'm not twisting his arm to say any of this. So over the years, have you looked back on your earlier pieces and see where you were to where you've, the path that you were on? when you wrote particular pieces, like signs of your past, where you were at that point? Yes, first to respond to your not twisting my arm and having uh, 20 <laughs> pounds on me or whatever it is, I would not slug it out with you. I'd be sticking and moving. Your eyes can't see. <laughs> you can't hit what your eyes can't see. <laughs> Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Rum, rumble, young man, rumble. So uh, to answer your question, Christopher... Yeah, again, going back to uh, it being a, an evolution, a process, I think that I have a better grasp on where we're headed and what we're doing. One of the things that we are doing again this month is taking the time to um, finish the book, the, the audio version of the book. We're going in the studio actually tomorrow to uh, put some of my pieces to music, and I'm totally excited about it, using uh, for The Hurtin' some music that my friend Ben Townsend laid down. He is an incredible musician and human being. Ben is just, he's amazing, can play and do anything. And I want to impact the drug epidemic in this town. We're quite not quite sure how we're going to do it yet, but we are going to do it. That's something I feel that has been mandated by God is to confront it. Oftentimes, after I left the church, uh, I, was a, I was a minister and I fell because it's no secret I love women. And that was one of the weaknesses... <laughs> In my life, and it's not to glorify it because I hurt a lot of people. I did. There was collateral damage, and I'm so sorry for it, but I don't live in that, in the guilt and shame. That's one of the, some of the tools that the church uses, that society uses to cower people, to keep people under control is guilt and shame. Fuck guilt and shame. You know, I don't carry that with me anymore. And so in this evolving in this 
evolution, this evolution of Earl Hairston, of Loop Guru. Uh, it's one of the, my aliases is Loop Guru. I'm finding that I'm being given the opportunity to speak to a lot of people. What is evolving is this great sense of joy, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. And so people see that that joy, and my righteousness is not anything that flows from me. Self-righteousness is nothing but filthy rags in the eyesight of God. So if I have righteousness, it stems from Christ. I'm righteous in him, in my relationship with him. And often people ask and they say, well, how can you cuss? How can you talk about sex? How can you do these things? And you profess to be a Christian. No, I don't. I don't profess to be a Christian. I'm a believer. I believe in God. I believe in Christ. He's my Lord. And that's as far as I'm going with it. I believe that God has always used bad boys and bad girls to accomplish his purpose. And so I have this passion, this fire, this experience with life. And I see that growing and a certain confidence, not an arrogance. But as I've been put on large stages, um, Miss Charlotte Fox, who organized the Washington, D.C. Poetry Festivals honoring Gil Scott Heron, just, just saying the name Gil Scott Heron, Heron uh, brings to mind so many fantastic pieces and amazing artists. And to be able to stand on the stage at Carter Barron a legendary place where phenomenal artists have stood. I just drank it in, Christopher, to have my own dressing room with my name on the door and to be with all... I was on the same stage with the last poets. Are you kidding me? And so uh, I, I have a dream, and it's constantly there in front of me, standing on the stage at Red Rock and performing, and that is growing stronger with each day that goes by. And I believe that with the addition of Rick Smith to our team, he gave us a sound system worth $4,000. Just came up to me and asked, do you need a sound system? And it blew me away. I thought it was going to be like a four-channel amp or a karaoke. Or something similar to what I got here. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. But that's great for what you do. Right. But I didn't expect to yeah, have Yeah, I this. saw that sound system, and I am jelly. And, yeah, and, and, and Nick has added uh, these different pieces, so it's a sound system on steroids, and he, he, we've nicknamed it, we call it Lucille, and I thought it was after Chuck, uh, Ch- um, um, the blues musician, I can't even think of his name right now, B.B. King, B.B. King. King's guitar, Lucille. And so I'm going around saying, and so uh, he named it after the bat. You know, he told me, and I thought it was a bat that was flying, you know, uh, on The Walking Dead, and found out it was a bat with barbed wire around it. And so we're going for the fences with Lucille. We can go deep with her. And so I'm really excited. So if I see an evolution, it's the adding of uh, people to our team. Rick has a degree, a master's degree, I think, in music and has played with bands. Nick managed a radio uh, station. As a teenager, just amazing people that I'm being surrounded with. His wife, Christina, is just this phenomenal individual. She took my uh, book, the manuscript, and, and put it down, edited it, and everything. So I have 
these amazing people. So yes, I can see this evolving from this guy that was um, coming back to life, uh, escaping his own personal hell and darkness with the help of people to where I'm at now, to where I find each day I can't wait to wake up, Christopher. Not that I still don't have things that I'm dealing with. I went through, uh, I could have lost my eyesight last year, and I'm so thankful to God that the aneurysm that took place in my eye didn't take place in my brain because the doctor told me if that had happened inside your head, you would have not have walked in here. So for me to stand be sitting here with you and to be able to perform and to have my eyesight and to be healthy, I'm humbled. I'm broken. So there's no arrogance in what I do. There's just uh, an, an acknowledgement. Let me share this with you. I feel like that for a number of years, because of what I went through after my divorce and my fall from grace from the church, I was like Achilles. I went into my tent and the armies of Greece were getting their butts kicked outside the walls of Troy. And I see the church. I see Martinsburg. I see our country getting its ass kicked, you know, by the drug cartels. And I've been like Achilles, hiding in my tent, moping in my tent, sulking in my tent. I was like that. And things began to prompt me to come out of my tent, but I knew if I came out, if I put on my armor again, there would be a price to pay, that there would need to be a definite death to Earl and my own personal agendas. And that's one of the things that I had to reconcile in my life to come to uh, peace with as I've talked with God. And so that, I guess I used all that to answer your question. That's part, that's part of the things I when I speak to people about certain things that are happening here in Martinsburg and they say well this is coming in it's going to bring drugs crime so forth and so on and I'm like do you realize the drugs are already here and the infection is already here you're just now looking at it It, it's happening here it's a symptom it's a disease that's already here and like yourself, I, I'm a believer. Um, a lot of folks who are listening might not see this. I kind of say that I'm a borderline agnostic, but I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. It's the, my issues stem with more so, more so the organized religion aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. I'm not knocking it. It's helped a good many people progress out of problems that they have and it help if it helps those people out there that need it i'm not going to say hey don't do it. it but if it helps it helps so well you know we're talking about drugs now and about the church and and different ways to attack I'm, what drugs. i'm saying is if the church helps someone heal mm-hmm. from Drugs, their addictions, right. whatever it might be, then it's a. Pl- I'm not knocking it because it has helped that person go towards a better place. Yes, yes, I totally. So agree. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. It's the aspect of where I'm getting at is that there, are, for everything that the church or a church has done to help, mm-hmm. there are many instances where they have 
or could have hurt. Wow, there there's so many ways that we can go right now. One of the, one of the pieces I I don't read it uh, often. I don't because I love the church and not necessarily the Western uh, thinking way of being the church. And I wrote a piece called Laodicea Snide, and there's different ages that is talked about in Revelations about the church. And I believe that we are in the Laodicean church age to where the Bible says that we think that we've got it all, that we're rich, but we don't realize that we're naked and ragged, that we're blind, that we need eye salve, that we need someone to speak to us and that we need to wake up. And so this piece, uh, Laodicea Snide, was written, and it's from Revelations 3, 14 through 22. We are lukewarm after all the hype. We're stupid blind with pride and greed. Christ's warning in Revelation we refuse to heed. Sunday morning service, once a 15-round event, is now a featurette complete with a duet, sermonette, and five offerings. A a prelude to post-worship, all-you-can-eat gluttony. We stuff our faces, loosen belts, and lambast every sinner in the place while wearing joker-esque, homecoming king and queen smiles on our benign faces. In the name of God, we stiff the waitstaff. With brass monkey nerve, we leave a witness track to bid the flunkies to our holy place. But the invite cannot excite in our vacuum. Of God's grace and love, there is not a trace, despite our morning's hit of holy bread and wine. In our heart's inmost chambers, we should front our own six sins and draw the line. Bread is the staff of life. It represents the body of Christ, which was broken that we might live. Wine, emblem of joy, it is the blood of Christ that covers our sins. This is a time of repentance and confession. As we remind the fallen one, we are not his possession. In this intimate quality time with Abba Father, we receive carte blanche forgiveness, healing, and renewal. The table of communion has become a hater aid stand. Sorrow voice asides in the congregation. What are they doing at the altar? God ought to strike them down right now. Or you have heard this one before. You have to be a member of our church to participate. In order to take communion, you must join our union. And in the background, the choir sings, Come to the altar. The most segregated hour in America promotes chauvinism, racism, lust, and greed. The whispered benediction as we drink the cup and eat the bread is, God bless me and my four and no more. At a time of worldwide crisis, our children raised in Protestant and Catholic churches are joining ISIS. We sit in shock at the mass exodus from our flock. The double life we live in front of our children powers the desertion. Roman God, Janice Stow, we have two faces, one for the John Q. public and the other in Famille. Our children see Mr. and Mrs. Hyde when we are on the snide. If this is really the end of time, where is Jesus in the marketplace? Can the law see him when they look in our face? Where is the pastor 
who in spite of elder and deacon board threats of the Donald's catchphrase, you're fired, will call for a fast and all-night prayer, crying out, unashamed to God for help, along with a few faithful that will hold up his arms if he gets tired. Beloved, Keith Green called us the giant who is asleep in the light. Christians are prisoners of war because we won't fight. We pull a Duran calling, no mas, no mas. With a world headed for a devil's fiery hell, we throw in the towel and won't answer the bell. May a holy God forgive us. And early he's a... What should I say? I don't want to do any dead air here, but... He's got a lot more to say, and he's sitting right here, willing to share with a lot of us. And I noticed you were looking through your copy of I Saw Your Mother Crying. It's one of those instances where he's Earl is happy to read a little bit from this book. As I said a few months, many months ago when I first reviewed this book and read through it, I mentioned that I was not worthy to read from the inside of this book because this is Earl's tale, his story, his life. And the recordings that I did have on my hard drive, I felt that were not really authorized by Earl to be included at the show we did at that time because... We were working on the early stages of the audiobook. I didn't want to put it in without seeking his permission. Then life happened. Earl had his thing with his eye, which is more than grateful that it was his eye. I'm sure Earl would agree with me that... Hallelujah. ...that better his eye than some other particular part of his body, like his brain or his heart, where it could have caused even greater damage or... Or death. Yes. So, and I said, told Earl before the show that, and as I well as I told many of you on the show that time, that the only part of the book that I felt that respectfully that I could read from was the back, and that's what I did. So, with us to kind of read a little bit from the book, if Earl so chooses, uh, a little bit of I saw your mother crying, so you guys have a little bit of a taste of the book and what the audiobook <clears throat> might sound like. Yes, uh, this is uh, chapter four, Getting Hooked, and I'll just read a few paragraphs. No problem. Kaleidoscope, kaleidoscope, kaleidoscope. That's the word that c- kept playing in my head as I enjoyed the ebb and surge of the cocaine rush inside my mind and body. The feelings were a kaleidoscopic, ever-changing, shifting pattern of intense, erotic fireworks that caused me to trip as I smoked a cigarette and fantasized about an endless array of women. I slid from fantasy to fantasy under the power of the cocaine I had been injecting into my arm for the last three hours. I had become an incubus, preying upon the memories of all the attractive women I had ever met in my life. I didn't need the physical presence of the women. Images would serve. Cocaine, the needle, and me were a physical menage a trois. Cocaine was my lover. In actuality, it was like making love to myself with the syringe of liquid cocaine. 
That was a sample from I Saw Your Mother Crying. Again, it's available right now through Amazon. And with that little snippet, you can see into a little bit of Earl's past in reference to what he was going through, even though both of us will not condone the use of heavy narcotics, which this was. And I'm sure Earl will agree with me that if you're seeking help, seek help uh, through... I'm sure there's many places where wherever you are living that you can find help. If you're not sure where to find help, I would suggest either going to a local church, prob- probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might know uh, various locations where you can get help or a local hospital or health clinic to f- seek help and start the process. And as Earl has stated, that to surround yourself with a lot of positive people not yes yes people right. positive people right. that and honest people that will tell you in essence tell you honestly and straightforward from the hip what the fuck are you doing yeah you know Christopher I had been thinking about a, a gentleman that I knew a number of years ago and he attended our church and he had a serious drug problem. Any drug problem is serious, and I don't glorify my drug use. I talk about it in order to start dialogue, to cause people to think. And this guy, he would ask me, you know, what do I do? I said, you have to surrender. He said, I don't know how to surrender. How do you do it? I said, you just throw your arms up in the air. You come out with your hands up in the air. You fall on your knees. And you say, I just give up all my hopes, all my games, all the subterfuge, everything. I just want to get well. He said, I don't know how to do that. And so he would take his son with him when he would go to D.C. to cop. And we're talking about a child of maybe 10, 8, 9, 10 at the time. And his son would sit in the back seat and he would give him games or something and tell him, don't look in the front seat, don't look at what I'm doing. And he would wire up while they were in D.C. And this was heroin at the time. He was a heroin addict. And people act like heroin is something new. It's always been around. I got strung out on heroin when I was in Thailand. I wrote a screenplay about it. Christina and Nick have uh, read it and Susan Maddox. And it's powerful. It's called Throne. And this was before the Game of Thrones was even an idea in somebody's mind. This was written a number of years ago. And so I was exposed to the 98%, come back strung out on Flying Tiger Airlines, owned by Imelda Marcos out of the Philippines, jonesing for heroin, going back to Myrtle Beach. And I knew when I got to Myrtle Beach, the Air Force Base there, that everything was going to be fine, you know, because Myrtle Beach was filthy with heroin. And so this was in the early 70s. This is nothing new. What is new is that it is in such preponderance in suburbia now. You know, that's the new thing. So this guy, he would say he didn't know how to surrender. He OD'd. He died. His son was, I guess, 16 at the time. And um, a few weeks after his dad died, he died. And so if there's one thing that people need to understand is that we are not islands, that what we do reverberates, that it moves out in concentric circles and it affects everybody in our lives, everybody. And if you can't give up, if you're listening to this program today 
If you're listening to this program today, this moment, tonight, whatever it is when you're listening to this, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for your wife, do it for your children, do it for your mom, your dad, you're hurting all these people around you. If you can't do it for nobody else, stop being so fucking selfish and do it for them. Surrender. Fall down on your hands and knees and ask for help. I have found out that there are a lot of people in this town that want to help you. If you surrender, if you say, hey, I need help, you can get all the help you need. So stop using that for an excuse. Just be honest and stop playing games. That's why I want to say, if I didn't say it before, I'll say it now. And if I did, I'll say it again. Earl's book, I Saw Your Mother Crying, is not just, is, as we said, is not glorifying drug addiction no, in any way, shape, or form. It, in the pond itself, is showing that, Earl is showing that I went through this. I came out, I went through hell. I came out the other side. Not looking so much pretty. I don't mean that as disrespect. But in a way, Earl is saying, if I went through this and I came out from addiction, so can you. Yes. So, yes. that and what Earl just said, just seek help. Don't be afraid. Right. Don't be, don't be a, I'm not going to say coward. Don't be afraid to seek help. Ask for help. But you have to, it's just hard from those I've seen. I'm sure Earl can attest to it. It's not an easy road. It's going to be a hard road to to walk, to travel. You just have to be willing to go through that. And hopefully a book like this could show you as well that you too could come out the other side. Not smelling like a rose because good chance you're not going to smell like a rose. But you can come out the other side. Yes. Um, I And at this point, Chris, I would like to... Um, read a piece that I wrote it's called an open letter to my mom go ahead because she she's my hero and I want to honor her today the first law with commandment in the old testament is to honor your mother and your father you know to give them respect and that word honor means to give one audience we allow them to speak into our lives i think that the younger generation and it was a part of my mentality growing up in the 60s where it said you couldn't trust anyone over 30. That's a bunch of crap. You're throwing away so much life experience when you just put your elders on the side and say that you can do it all yourself. We're, we're watching what's happening in the world today with all the young people just driving this bus, man. It's totally insane. But... Um, I want to read this this piece about my mom. Uh, before we go into that, let me mm-hmm. just respond to you. You said, just briefly, wasn't that statement, can't trust over anybody over 30, changed to can't trust anybody under 30 as well? Exactly. And I, read, I think it was either uh, last night or this morning, I saw a piece. Uh, it was the, dude, the guy was talking to, instructing, I think he was like a relationship type of, I don't want to say guru, but he was an instructor, and he was telling this woman who said, told him that I'm a strong woman, I can do this itself. And he said, that's the wrong way of thinking because there are three levels. The weak person or the weak woman that says, I can't do this myself, I need help. Then you have the next level that's above that that says, I'm a strong, you can replace the woman with person. I'm a strong person. 
I don't need your help. Mm -hmm. But the better person or the better woman knows that he or she, she is strong, but is willing to appreciate someone else coming in and helping them yes. to not so much serve them, right. but you have to be willing to take as right. well as receive. Yes, yes, to have that open heart and to receive direction and help. I, I need help every day. I thank God for my team, for you and other people in my life. Uh, my mom gave of herself, just poured her life out for her children. She would tell anybody that her children were her life. And people in the community, they would often say, you know, you boys ought to be ashamed of yourself, talking about me and my brothers, because we were, we were horrible. And she said, you boys, your mom, she loved y'all. Y'all, y'all. Y'all's butts received better care than most people's faces. You know, and, and she was such a good woman. And so I want to honor her with this letter. She, she passed away, and I wrote this several years after she had passed away, and it's called An Open Letter to My Mom. I opened my heart this morning to examine the remembrances of you that I have been afraid to view, lo, these many years. In them are recollections of so many beautiful moments, piled high like gifts around a Christmas tree. In this mountain of treasure is the greatest gift of all. You gave me life. My birth was fraught with pain for you and me. Forceps had to be used on a head too large to make its entrance naturally into this world. A vessel that would be needed to hold all the wisdom and knowledge that you would pour into it over the years. In the birthing room, we shared our first tears together, but not our last. I was your firstborn son, destined to break your heart over and over again. Not premeditatedly, but no less hurtful each time it happened. But despite my failures, you loved me unconditionally the way only a mother can love her child. You called me early when I was behaving and Earl Ray when I was misbehaving. You are the bravest person I have ever known. At your knee, I learned to laugh at the annex of Little Black Sambo and Br'er Rabbit. You taught me how to love, dream, beg, and pray. Help us, Jesus, I would hear at night when my brothers, sisters, and I were supposed to be asleep, talking to someone I couldn't see but knew if you were calling out to him for help, he had to be real. A love for literature was transference of fire from your heart to mine. You banked it in stories of the coal camps of your youth. I thought we had forever my champion and my friend. Now the tears come that I have held back for far too long. Open the floodgates, I command my soul. Let the arid plains and chambers of my heart be washed in a cleansing tidal wave of tears. Through memories we share our last cry together. I was afraid to grieve. I was living in denial. My heart only going through the motions because my world stopped the day I got the news that your mother passed away this morning. Guilt caught me in a straitjacket because I wasn't there with you as you made the passage from this life to the next. My place was to stand guard over you, protecting you from the angel of death, a post that was conspicuously vacant. Please forgive me. Mama, 
I know that heaven celebrated as you approached its celestial shores, born on angels' wings, a party that is still going on, a celebration that I didn't, couldn't, wouldn't enter into until now. With great anticipation and joy, I look forward to that great waking up morning when I can look into your beautiful brown eyes again and thank you for helping me to become the man that I am today. There is still a lot of work that needs to be done in me, but with the help of that Jesus that you used to pray to and that now I know, I'll see you again. Mama, I love you. And that was Earl who's going to probably be with us for at least a couple more minutes. We have no rush, and there's no real timeline on our show. Just that we have plenty to talk about, and Earl seems like he still has plenty of stuff that he would like to share with everybody, including yourselves. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what more did you want to talk to? And Earl's just... Remember, Earl, this is an audio podcast, <laughs> not a, a visual podcast. Earl's... Performing as usual, letting his juices jive, so to speak. Well, I would like to do some of my hotter pieces. This is a piece, uh, this is probably a controversial piece. I wrote it, it's called Friendly Fire. <coughs> Excuse me. No problem, really. And so, Even though we're recording, it's not something for, it's not the audiobook, Earl. Right. You, you, you're allowed to cough and have... Uh, be human. Be human. Yes. Okay, this is called Friendly Fire. I was asked to do a piece um, about veterans. And this is a piece that I wrote in 2014, and it's called Friendly Fire. This is the heart's cry for the veterans of the unpopular war, lifting our voices in unison as we stand flat-footed, proclaiming our concern on the international floor. No ticker tape parades when we arrived home. Our country's rejection sending hurt to our very core. Odds stacked against us. We shout at the world like the signifying monkey to the lion in the jungle deep. You let us get our cojones up out this sand, and we'll fight your asses like natural men. An embarrassment to our families and the nation we took blood oaths to defend. They didn't want us hanging, so they counted us out. We drew a circle and counted ourselves in. They didn't know who the fuck they were messing with. Homeless, displaced, disgraced, confused, rejected, ignored, hounded, and driven. Seeking healing, comfort, treatment, and direction in places where they promise it will be given. Politicians and their appointees for career advancement and money withhold the cure. Words spoken during campaign elections and behind closed doors, just lip service, poison and impure. The declaration of this is sure to draw perfect storm ire. Shit, boys, look for cover. Leave nobody behind. Let's get out of this mire. What they couldn't do in Nam is happening at home. They're killing us with friendly fire. Just because I might have forgotten if I asked this. Do a lot of the, even though some of these, especially the piece you just said, either con- is either coming from a controversial place or a dark place, do, does a lot of this stuff come easy for you or has there been writer's block some days? I go through periods and I often get teased about this because I say I'm writing, but it's, 
inside my soul, inside my spirit, I liken it to giving birth, becoming pregnant with a thought or an idea and going through this gestation period. And it's not nine months or six weeks. It can be a day, a couple of weeks. And so I'm writing the whole time in this thing, this thought is evolving. And then I begin to put it down to paper. Some of it at times, I don't... I think it could be painful. Uh, there's one piece, we're putting it to music, it's called The Hurtin', and it was about an experience to where I was hurt because I was in love. And hurt oftentimes can be the motivation to writing, to doing something. So out of this hurt came this piece called The Hurtin', and I think that many of the pieces that blues sing is because it's the blues and country western, you know, my... I, my truck broke down, my hound dog left, my girlfriend's with my best buddy, you know. And so uh, the hurting is like that. Can I share that with you? Go ahead. <clears throat> the hurting. When I was a kid growing up, I'd hear the grown folks say, I'm going to put a hurting on you. Always thought I knew what it meant. A no-brainer. Turns out that was a misinformed reality of the past. The up-to-date explanation entered my consciousness like a bikini atoll nuclear blast. It bit the dust as this day unwrapped itself from the night, covered with happiness's refreshing dew. Waking up was a sensual delight to your morning's revelation turned my brown eyes blue. Out of the darkness, it was the other shoe. From a flatline position, my spirit watched our tribal passion story unfold in an instant. God, this hurts because the caption to the scene was from your lips. It's a promise to love me tender, to love me true. You put a hurting on me, deeper than a pain that needs cauterized, a pain that only your love can cut through. Please, Sear the connection that causes brain overload. All of your smiles and politics, a well-played gambit to hide the fact that in plain old English, you lied. Only you can free my heart from this cage of linear perspective that begs to be my ultimate. Yes, it's true. Sorry, I didn't mean to put the hurting on you. Damn, boy, listen. When I was with him, I had to fake. It's with you in the morning I want to wake. This cage of pain is in the deepest depths and farthest reaches of outer darkness. Your two-edged need for honesty was the jailer that placed my heart here. Inside the darkness is blindness, is hindsight, crystal clarity, and its brightest hue. You keep whispering, I didn't mean to put the hurting on you. I promise, when I break out of this stretch in Tantalus's holding cell of torment and despair, karma is coming with me, driving the getaway car. I'm going to flip the script. You'll be the one in the fetal ball. With infidelity's fragrance on my breath, I'll get jelly tight close and whisper in your ear, Damn, girl, I'm sorry. It didn't mean a thing. She's got nothing on you. So sorry. So, so sorry. I didn't mean to put the hurting on you. 
in that was Earl. To go back to the book for a, spe- for a uh, second, this is the first time it's been published or as a national-wide release, or did you publish it locally prior? We published it in the late 80s, early 90s. We published it. It was self-published. Um, but it went through, I think, about four or five um uh, Printings, we had to reprint it, and I'm I've, I'm always getting in trouble. Uh, Christina, Antonetti, and Susan—they're always saying, "Don't give your stuff away for free," and I, I would give the book out. So I'm better controlled with that now, better disciplined because I do have a cause on my heart, and it's to help people in Haiti, in Fort Liberty, uh, particularly, specifically. And we've sent money there to the medical clinic. Susan Maddox and her daughter Meredith Maddox uh, go down with a team of medical people and other people, and they minister uh, from their gifts, from their talents, from their profession to the people there at Fort Liberty. And when I heard about the cause, it really resonated with me, and I began to give. And there's this young kid that his family live in horrible, horrible conditions, and we want to put them in a new house. And so that's one of my projects. We have a a show coming up that's going to showcase some of my new works, and it's going to be at the uh, train station in Shepherdstown, and it's August the 19th that we're going to be putting it on, and I'm going to surround myself with uh, some music, with uh, a couple of musical um, performers and we're just going to have a good time, and, and the money, the proceeds from me selling my book and posters, and we're going to have a, a, a slight cover charge. All of that's going to go towards helping this family in Haiti move into a decent home. Oftentimes, we come out of poverty and neglect, and some of the greatest minds and spirits in the world have come out of those situations. So. If we can take that, the pebble effect, and drop something into Haiti that will maybe reverberate all the way around the world, that's what I want to do, Christopher. And so to um, answer your question, yes, it was published um, earlier, and this is uh, something now. We're in Israel, all over the United States. It's been taken to Italy, to London, the book has been traveled. It's in Jamaica, it's in Haiti, different places. So I'm really tickled that we're reaching. It's in Ireland. It went to Ireland in uh, the early 90s. Uh, some people took it over. So I'm really, I'm really blessed, and I've heard responses. It's in the prison system. And so um, it's, it's getting out there, this message. One of the things when we talk about different modalities, I worked as a paraprofessional drug counselor at a methadone clinic in Wichita, Kansas. When I was stationed at McConnell Air Force Base, I got out and I got a job at a methadone clinic. And I had, sure enough, addicts. I'm talking about the who's who of Wichita, Kansas as a new person on the staff. I got the most horrible clients, but I learned so much from them. I had this one client, his name was Dennis. And he told me when he came to my office to meet me, he said, I'm your worst nightmare. And he would come in and regale me of stories about the uh, life there in, in Wichita and the drug culture. And he told me about the duffel bag murderer 
uh, this guy that would kill people. And he was a serial killer and put them in duffel bags. I had this one pimp who drove this big white deuce and a quarter with a broham top with uh, long Texas um, steer um, horns on the front of it. And he had like a process. That's when uh, black people get their hair uh, treated and they slick it back like James Brown used to wear his. And he was built from being in the prison and he was a, he was a pimp. And he had a show enough stable and he took me out one time. He kept asking me to just go out with him, ride around. And so I did that. And we rode around in his, in his uh, deuce and a quarter, his broham. And he'd go check on his girls and they were knockouts. So we're not talking about like no skanks or nothing like that. They were sure enough knockouts. And he asked me if I wanted to be with one of them. I turned him down. And we rode around all night drinking Cavassier. You know, and so I have had these experiences in life. And so I've seen drug addiction from a lot of different angles and perspectives, Christopher. I must ask, I don't mean this in the wrong way, but it brings up an old interesting story. Was he, the, the pimp that you just mentioned, was mm-hmm. he stereotypical in reference to outfit-wise? <laughs> you mean like Huggy Bear in that one movie <laughs> running down the street with the goldfish in his platform no. shoes? No, 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 uh, he wasn't. There's a term, and I know it's probably going to offend people, but I really don't care because I'm not going to condense my language. I'm going to say the way it really happens and the way we talk in, in, in certain cultures. You know, because we've become so hygienicized, so politically correct that things are just vanilla and it makes me want to puke. Um, I would say that Earl Bell was a thorough nigger, man. You know, I mean, he was for real. And he would wear like the slacks, you know, the Sansa belts and the ballet tops and nice shoes and stuff like that. But no, it wasn't. With the what big the uh, Hollywood wide brim hat, yeah, the, with the Hollywood long stereotypical. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that at all. The, the reason why I asked that is because I brought up to a friend of mine, a coworker of mine, who was of, I think, Hispanic and African American descent, descent, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and just as coworkers tend to do, tried to pass the time, pass the boredom. Sometimes I, I asked him. I said. Just thinking, we both know what a stereotypical pimp is. is. Mm. What do you think would be a stereotypical Amish pimp would look like? <laughs> he, he just went, did one of these numbers, rubbed his shin, and said, you know what? I don't know. I said, you know what? We both know that the Amish mafia is still on TV. I think at that time he was still on TV. I said, if I ever get a chance, I'm going to ask one. If I got a chance, I'm going to ask one Amish uh, mom. He said, "I don't think he used the N words." And he went, "Dude, you don't want to ask that." <laughs> and sure enough, one of the um, guys from the show came through town like two, three years ago. And I said, "I got just humorously." It's like, "Listen, I got to ask," because me and my friend spoke about it. And I said, "What do you think?" And I'm uh, you know, stereotypical. We both know what a pimp, stereotypical pimp would look like via Hollywood. What do you think an Amish pimp would look like? He said, just, again, rubbed his chin. He said, you know what? I wouldn't, I don't know, but I know what kind of vehicle he'll drive. And I went, 
now you've got my attention. What do you think he'll drive? He said, well, his, the buggy is going to be a low rider. He's going to use one of the mini horses instead. He's going to have the wheel still spinning. Uh, I can see it. <laughs> Neon lights surrounding it. But he was cool about it. He, right. he had a smile. And, you know, he knew that I was just being humorous and right. what his take would right. be. Right. So it's just that whole aspect of, I don't right. know what he'll look like, <laughs> just about know what he'll drive. <laughs> you know, one of the things I think that I really feel that I want to do is to, people think that after you reach a certain age that you shouldn't talk about sex or be sexual that it's reserved for a certain age group, like I guess from 18 to 50 or something like that. Before that, maybe petting. And after that, just go someplace and, ooh, yuck. You know, and I, I, I believe that sensuality and sexuality and touching your partner and loving your partner, that sex can be more than the basic just missionary in out in out and three minutes and we roll over and we snore that it can be I, I heard Oprah Winfrey she interviewed Sting and she said is it true that you and Trudy um, have sex all day long and foreplay and Sting you know all the women were going nuts and Sting is one of my favorite if not my most favorite musician because he's so cerebral but he's got so much soul a lot of soul and um, Sting he start, he smiled and he said well getting up in the morning and as you leave the bed you know kissing them on the forehead in the kitchen as you prepare a meal and you're looking at one another and you're sharing and smiling and laughing pouring that glass of wine all of that is foreplay so in that sense, yes, it's all day long. And so to awaken that in relationships that have let it slide, that have let it go past, that to encourage people, this one girl, that um, this lady that used to work where I worked at, she had a younger guy that was friends, and he was going through hard times. You know, he had gotten a divorce, and he didn't know how to approach women. And when you've been married and getting back in the dating game, can be a very daunting task because you don't know what the rules are anymore. And you don't know if you say, hi, man, you look really good. God, you look fantastic. You don't know if people are going to slap you, you know, if they're going to say, you, um, that's sexual harassment. You know, all this, some of it's nonsense to me, basically. Um, but I do respect people. And so uh, she, she told the guy, I, I respect people's boundaries. I should put it that way. And so um, she told the guy, you should talk to Earl. You should talk to Earl. He could help you out. And so that really tickled me. Me and the young guy never talked to one another, but I think that through my performing, through the things that I present, uh, it awakens something in people. If I could be used like uh, Barry White, you know, or Teddy Pentegrast, or somebody of that nature put some Earl on and invite your date over or come see a show. It's a perfect date night. And so I want to read to you, share with you a piece that I wrote called Kevlar. And it's a bookend to a, a, a one-act play that I wrote. And the front piece, I, I use two performance pieces. One is called Jade, 
and one is called Kevlar, and they they bookend a traditional one-act play called Jade, and it's about an experience that I had on my 54th birthday, I think. A friend took me to a strip club for my birthday. I didn't know where we were going, and we ended up at the strip club in front of me. said, we're going in here. I said, I haven't been to a strip club in years, and that was when I was in Wichita, Kansas, in the early 70s, and they had like these huge strip clubs, two of them. One was called Revolution East, and one was Revolution West, and I actually had some of my clients working there from the methadone clinic, and I went there to Revolution East with Earl to see some of his girls, you know, and so these are big, big gentlemen's club or strip clubs or whatever you want to call them, and, um, you know, so... Uh, this piece that I wrote is about the failings of a marriage or relationship as the ardor begins to dampen. And so uh, Kevlar is about that. It's, it's the, it was written, I, I wrote this in 2006, Chris. I was fairly desperate by the time I got home. The brain fever was at an all-time high. Intimate thoughts of you were solar storms in my cortex. Need for you was putting a hurting on me. Please, baby, take off the Kevlar. I moan as you embrace me from wifely Christian duty and not mutual desire. I don't want there to be any body armor between us. Not tonight, not tonight. Truth, I've been hard to deal with. Hurt and disappointment have kept you in disarray. Emotionally retreating on the defensive in order to survive. Unfortunately, life often imitates art and sex has become a weapon. Drop your defenses. I promise your heart won't become a casualty of our passion and end up in a body bag. Listen, without a soul connection through the doorway of your heart, we're just going through the motions involved in mutual masturbation that can never take us to the zone. Tantric releases what we need. Darling, I'm blind, crippled, and crazy. Only you can make it better. You can release this burning that's inside of me. It threatens spontaneous combustion. Draw this fever out of me by the laying on of hands. Cool me, ice me down in the multi-flavored rapture of your love. Hold me the way a woman holds a man. Lullaby me. Rock me with the soft, gentle breeze of your song's caress. Come, merge with me. Take off the Kevlar, baby. Just one more chance is all I need. And that was Earl's Kevlar. And he kind of relate. oh, one more, go ahead. <laughs> uh, my bad, Earl. I'm so- I am so sorry, Earl. No, no, it's all right. And, and this piece is called Pagan. And it's also uh, written about the Just joys. Give me a chance to do that. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> Miss reading. Hey, bad it, form. Bad form. No, no. We're all sitting. We're, we're sitting around the table, man. You know, I open up a piece I'm writing about Martinsburg uh, by saying that we're on the porch, and I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to be releasing that pretty soon, and it's about my hometown. It's about Martinsburg, and this is called Pagan. Countless phantom full moons out of mind. I have anticipated this rite of passage. Through the myriad doorways of life, 
I have sought you, goddess of the holy chalice. My veneration is expressed with drinking mouthfuls of your wine of joy, the savoring of your hot bread and raptured communion. Your presence brings enlightenment. Ululations of praise fill my kisses as I explore your mystical temple. Daughter of the divine, I perform ablutions of cleansing in your water of light. As I drink, it bathes and enhances my inner sight. Fantasies birthed in this life-giving flow spring forth and in full bloom take flight. Pagan goddess, whose lotus flower is sweeter than a thousand vestal virgins, cherry fragrant nights. Initiate I become while dancing ceremony deep in your sacred place. Our identities mesh. This moment is everything we remembered it would be. Love slave, worshiper, in bondage, yet set free. That was Pagan by Earl. And to kind of relate on a previous topic, when uh, Christopher Tyus relates that that after his divorce, he was, in essence, back in the dating game. He said he had been dating for 20-plus years because of his wife and kids. And he said, all I had in my uh, closet to go by was a piano key tie. And (laughs) and goes on, it's like, what? It's like piano key tie. Wake me up before you go. <laughs> he said. Every, he said all my game is so old. Everything now is classified as a felony. <laughs> so that whole aspect of what you were saying it kind of holds holds true. Even though Christopher Titus was making an exaggerated joke, right. like most comedians do. Right. Right. So, and even I can understand. <laughs> we all can understand that. Yes have that one person alive and all of a sudden we're thrust back into the dating game and we're like, I don't know what to do now. You know, Chris, I am in love with the thought of being in love. As I said before, I'm a romantic at heart. And that is one of the things that I see, you know, in life is the um, people think you equate love or success with the number of people that you bed, the Russian roulette of multiple partners, the open relationships, the let's go out, let's go out and party, let's go to the club, let's get picked up. You know, and I went through all of that, and I think that in certain people's lives, maybe they need that. I don't know. Um, But I think that at some point promiscuity cheapens the very act of sex, that it's sacred, that it's special, and to find someone that you can explore, that you can let your freak flag fly high with, uh, that is a very, very, very special, very special thing. And if you have that, then don't throw it away. Don't uh, endanger it by an opportunity to be with someone because oftentimes I think that cheating or being with someone evolves out of opportunity, the the opportunity to be with someone. And it might not even necessarily be someone that you want to be with. You know, if you were not drinking or getting high, 
you probably wouldn't do it. You know, so I, I, I think to that one should take the time to play an encounter for it. You know, if I do this, if I go home with them, if I accept this drink, if I go out, where will that lead? Do I want to go down that road? And, you know, so it, it, I think that life experience gives us that. You know, past failures and hurts, and I believe that I'm a little bit more objective and somewhat as a visionary now to where I do value relationships and honor relationships, uh, other people's relationships, and I love people being in love. I can remember after my divorce and living in a little bitty apartment, and I was so wounded that I'm sure that other women could see that and that uh, it probably scared them, you know, this this desperate guy that's hurting and everything. And I would lived in this small apartment, and I had people living over top of me, people next to me and people behind me, and I could hear everything that was going on in their apartments. And one particular day, it was in the spring, and I was sitting in front of my apartment on the stoop and watching people walk down the street. And kids, you know, were walking along in 16, 17, holding hands, pushing strollers, uh, watching dogs, sniffing after other dogs, and the line, birds do it, bees do it, dogs do it, why can't we do it? You know, and I went to bed that night, and it just seemed like there was sex in the air. The people in back of me, I could hear their bed. The people over top of me, I could hear their beds. The people next to me, I could hear their beds. And I just want to scream out, stop, you filthy animals, you know. And, and you know, I just cried out to God silently, where is my woman? Yeah, and it has taken time, and I've, I've become uh, content with being single, you know, dating occasionally, and enjoying this time to where I've, been able to heal and been able to write and to talk about love and to do it objectively and to do it passionately, you know, from both sides. I, I believe that that's an honor, you know, that, that it's been a blessing for me. And for some, some would say that, uh, to kind of add on to what you said, in reference to promiscuity, mm-hmm. is that some have said that life is a buffet, mm-hmm. it can be okay to try a little bit of this, try a little bit of that, try a little bit of this, before you settle down on your favorite. Right. And on the other side of that, to tail on the other end of the conversation a little bit, some will say that every, when you're in love, truly in love, every love song means something. You see it. You feel it. Mm -hmm. You understand that. Mm -hmm. And when you break up, Every sad song also means something to you. You understand every country song, every blues song. You get it. You understand it. So you have both ends of the stick, so to speak. And both both points, both ends of the stick are have their own truths to it. Right. You know, and in love we try to categorize, define, um, put parameters around it, demarcations. And what I'm seeing is what I've seen all my life with the lesbian and gay and transgender uh, movement, you know, the awakening, the declarations that, 
people fall in love with people and that age shouldn't be what uh, determines who you can love. That uh, my, my, my good friend, she, she spoke this to me the other day because I attract women to my shows, you know, and, and um, they have fun, you know, and sometimes I feel like I'm Tom Jones up there or somebody, you know, or Mick Jagger. And, um, and so I have female friends from all ages, you know, from barely legal to <laughs> up in their 70s, you know, 80, and I called them shoddies, you know, 70, 60-year-old. Look, look at these shoddies in the audience, and I mean it, you know, because I see their spirit and their soul and their appreciation for me. And I had said that um, there was one person that had criticized um, me having, like, relationships or friendships with younger women. People are going to think you're a perv. And I told this to one of the young girls, and she said, Earl, don't think about that. Don't believe that. Whoever you connect with, whoever connects with you, there shouldn't be anything that determines or says that you can't love that person or be with that person. So if a woman wants to be with a woman, a man with a man, you know, that's their business. You know, that's between, that's up to them. I can remember being in Thailand, and they had what is called katoys. And it's uh, men that have breasts, you know, and they're out there. They're, they're prostitutes, so we call them transgender. Um, and um, they had an alley. It's called Katoy Alley. And guys would go down there, servicemen, and they would go down that alley, and they would be with those women, you know, and they had women, um, you know, all over the place. So this whole thing is nothing new to me. You know, I've seen it. When I grew up as a kid in Cleveland in the ghetto, I lived in a six-story uh, apartment building. It was called the Clevelander. And uh, several of the apartments on top, women, what I thought were women, lived at the top. <laughs> and um, they would go out at night, you know, and they would, uh, they would call them drag queens or in drag back then. And they would come home. And, and in black Cleveland, in, in, on the east side, there were a couple of the white transgender women, and I never knew any difference, but I would hear my mom and different people whispering, here they come, oh my God, there they go. You know, and um, this one kid, he went upstairs to knock on this lady's door that she had dropped something, and I guess she answered it naked or half-dressed or without the wig, I'm not sure, and his name was Ronald Reed. <laughs> and he come running down the stairs, Hey, y'all, hey, y'all, Miss Susie ain't no woman, she's a man. You know, and so, you know, this has always been a part of my life, the awareness that people can have affection and sexual attraction towards people of the opposite sex and different age groups. So it's nothing new to me, and I don't find it offensive. I'm I'm not offended by it at all. But that's the thing, I've had this conversation with my buddy Lloyd in reference to Mm -hmm. music when... You and I were young, younger. Yes. That uh, I can remember, probably remember that you know when I was maybe table high, meaning a child, right? Seeing uh, musicians like Elton John, Liberace, David Bowie. Not so much David Bowie. Okay. But or Freddie Mercury. But Uh in my eyes, I saw a little bit more of. Through shows like The Muppets and so mm-hmm. forth and so on, mm-hmm. Elton John and Liberace, mm-hmm. and knowing something's not right, I might have heard the term 
gay. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that for those who are who listening who are of such. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I might have heard that term, but not really knowing what that term was. Just right. not, just kind of realizing that something with about Elton John or Liberace was not right. You know, Elton John being coming out with a duck costume and Liberace being very flamboyant Mm -hmm. in his outfits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just not knowing something, you know, is not right, but they're entertain Realizing that they are entertainers Mm -hmm. and thinking, passing it off with maybe six-year-old logic, Mm -hmm. they're entertainers. Right. That's their job. Right. And it wasn't until much, much later putting two with more of a older mindset and more educated mindset Mm -hmm. should be a better term Uh realizing this Uh and hearing more about people like David Bowie Mm -hmm. and later on Freddie Mercury Mm -hmm. and going oh that's why now everything's coming into the the pieces are coming together and it's like you know what heck with that they still make good music you know yeah and they're still good people you know um, Little Richard uh, had that uh, going on. Uh, Muhammad Ali borrowed some of that from Little Richard, and uh, Ali was probably the penultimate uh, heterosexual male, you know. But he, you know, I'm the greatest, ain't I pretty, you know, and all those things, you know. And um, so we we find these musicians, these artists, whether actors, actresses, and having to live with that angst and the guilt and the shame that people place on them, you know, for their sexual identity. And how many lives were destroyed and ruined and all the pain, the unnecessary emotional grief that we've placed on people. And so I'm glad to see that breakthrough. You know, now being 65 and uh, people wanting me, certain segments wanting me to shut up or not be Earl, you know. And so you come under that same ostracism. And I was you, about to ask that. Sexuality you know, aside, have, mm-hmm. have people tried to put guilt upon you? Certainly, certainly. You know, I can post something on Facebook, and there's always one or two people that will respond. Or you're a Christian, you don't need to use that type of language, and that's not what this is for. You know, and you know, so and and when I've performed at different places, you know, have people they get offended and might walk out, you know. But that's a part of being an artist because we are vulnerable and we put ourselves out there, and not everyone is going to like or appreciate what we do. And I don't do it for that reason, you know. I'm not doing it so a thousand I can get a million likes. I'm expressing or putting something out there that has come out of my soul, my spirit, or something that I really feel like that I need to address as a writer, as a, as a poet, as, as a voice for this generation, for so many generations, you know, or just my own voice. Isn't that part of an entertainer's or, or poet or a comedian's responsibility in some way to shine a light on something? I, I think, Point yes. it out, whether mm-hmm. it's I'm not whether or not it's in a, a popular opinion or not. Right, right. Granted, there is a line somewhere, though yes. possibly blurred. There, there is the job of the entertainer to whether it's politics, culture, what have you. A 
I'll, well, I could just easily. Yeah. We're going to pause for a moment, folks. We'll be right back. All right, folks, we're back. Sorry for the, the delay, even though you guys didn't notice a dang thing. <laughs> but uh, to kind of go back on the topic uh, in reference to love, if, uh, to kind of summarize, uh, I'll say my little bit, whatever you choose to do in your life, it, it, it is up to you, no matter what a lot of folks do. Uh, yeah, there, there have been things and celebrities that have done things. They've put out great content despite fans, some fans leaving droves in reference to that. But if you want to get freaky, that is your business. <laughs> uh, just, I don't want to take words from Earl's mouth or anything like that. Do you, got, you want to say anything in regards to the whole love thing? Well, I... I People can oftentimes be prisoners and lonely in their own homes and in their own relationships. If there's been a chilling in the romance, in the eroticism in one's life, the sensuality, then maybe you need to do some things differently. Don't forsake your partner. Don't stop hugging them. Don't let it just be by the numbers, perfunctory type of um, sex or adventure, you know? Bring, bring a little bit of life to it. Really learn your partner's love language because what I'm seeing is that people grow, people evolve, and oftentimes it's in different directions. And that after you've been married 20, 30, 40 years, it's not the same person that you got married to. That person has grown. They've experienced life. You both have. And so their language changes or it, it, it becomes somewhat different. And so we need to learn our partner's love language and to study them and be aware of them. And it's not, you know, with the voyeur type of... Uh, message or thought behind it like stings every move you take I'll be there watching you so it's it's not that but to learn them to appreciate them to as a man to begin to worship and adore and honor your woman to love her to get to know her to say baby is there anything that you want that I can do for you what what do you need for me to do and for the woman to do the same thing you know, be open. Don't let a stranger or think that a stranger can do it or some penny dreadful romantic harlequin novel or Fifty Shades of Grey. Man, pump some of that shit into your own relationship. <laughs> Get creative. So if I've got anything to say, man, just uh, start running just amok. Reel, reel yeah. back. The, if you got criticism, <laughs> reel it back. Don't you know, let the freakness fly. <laughs> I'm just, creating a uh, monster yeah. here today. Yeah, Chris just, is talking about letting this freak flag fly. fly. You know, you gotta, sometimes <laughs> you just got to reel it back. Just don't tell anybody else. You know, we did something freaky last night. Uh, we don't know. No, we don't need to we, know. We don't need TMI, dude, TMI. Yeah. But uh, to kind of go back on the previous topic, well, what what led you, what were kind of some of the things that led you out of everything? Kind of helped you out of the process one of the things was the fact that I was raised with a knowledge of Jesus Christ 
not that I was raised in the church. Uh, my grandfather was a minister, the Church of God, and he would preach hell and fire, hell and fire, fire and brimstone, you know, and pound the pulpit. And he was a good preacher, an incredible man, a uh, self-made man, a barber, self-educated, got his GD when he was think in his late 60s or early 70s just an amazing man but I had a knowledge of Christ because of my mom and so at the end of my addiction and I had been a poly uh, drug abuser whatever would get me high I would do except for huffing I never huffed never paint never none of that stuff you know but the secondals the quaaludes heroin cocaine alcohol pot the psychedelics, all of it. I tried it. You know, I, I have never tried any of the designer drugs or anything like that. I got busted for MDA uh, selling that in Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina, and I could have been in prison on a road gang in Myrtle Beach, but my brother-in-law's uncle owned uh, was the head of a, lo- a large black law firm in Columbia, South Carolina, and I didn't know it at the time, but he and the judge had gone to law school together. And I had a really good lawyer from that firm. And um, they kept me from going to prison. But I went to Thailand and continued my heroin use. And, you know, then coming home to Martinsburg, you know, even when I was a paraprofessional counselor at the methadone clinic in Wichita, I was drinking and smoking pot. But something about my encounter with cocaine and everything that was happening here in Martinsburg and my mom being there almost every other day looking for us, for her children that were caught up in the war zone and her sharing Christ and praying for me and then the churches in this area, several of the churches anyway, took it upon themselves to come inside of that area where all the cocaine was at concentrated there was an open-air market and they began to preach Jesus and that's what set me free is Christ he set me free and who the Son sets free is free indeed and when I was delivered and I was delivered I mean I was delivered my addiction to cocaine was broken in my belief and faith in him I surrendered I surrendered on a street where I had sold drugs, where all the dealers, all the little chippies, everybody was standing there watching me. When I went to the altar, they were watching this open-air street revival. So it wasn't done secretly, and everybody knows that what I'm saying is the truth. It was broken in my life. And later in church, uh, I I read the book by David Wilkerson, and it was called... um, Uh, The Cross and the Switchblade, and his encounter with uh, gangs in New York City with Nicky Cruz, who was a gang leader. And Nicky later became a a powerful uh, minister and preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so David later went on to found Teen Challenge, and the government was doing studies trying to figure out why Teen Challenge was so successful, their cure rate, versus the programs that the government and private... um, facilities were offering and the one thing that they came up with was the Jesus solution that's it there's a book out uh, called that it's probably as hard to find 
And uh, a lot of people will say, well, that's so politically incorrect and this, that, and the other. I'm only saying what worked for me. It's like the blind man being healed of his blindness. He was uh, called in by the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious leaders in, in, in Jerusalem. And they said, don't you speak his name no more. Who, who, who set you free? He said, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. <laughs> I mean, how powerful is that? And so that's what I'm saying. Once I was addicted, and now I'm not. And the person that did it was Jesus. And I'll never deny him. Never. And even though you guys heard it from me, I'm going to ask Earl so we could hear his take on things. Any advice for those who are willing, even though you said they got to surrender, mm -hmm. uh, any words of wisdom, any advice from you for those who are on the borderline wanting to quit or those who might be finding a little bit of hardship in their recovery? Yes, I, um, I don't pretend to have answers, uh, Christopher, and I think that spirituality is definitely uh, a big place in that. I don't want to say religion because at the root the word religion is basically man's search for God you know and uh, so I believe that peace that enlightenment can come through a lot of different ways and whatever works for you then accept that and, and embrace it surrender to it uh, for for me it was Christ. It was coming to him. And so my advice is just to get real with yourself. Get real with yourself this very moment, this very hour. I don't care if it's destroying your life, if it's destroying your family, if it's destroying your ability to do your job, then it has to go. It, it, it really has to go before it kills you, before it destroys you. Um, Prison is no place to spend your life. I, I think it's horrible that a lot of people for selling marijuana and different things are being locked up with hardened criminals. Uh, there's just so much to talk about. Maybe we can come back at another time. But find someone uh, that you can talk to. Find someone that will be honest with you. Find someone that just doesn't tell you what you want to hear. Okay. Great. And it looks like Earl might have a little bit more to read for us, one last little treat if he <laughs> so inclines. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, I wrote a short story uh, about two years ago, and it's called Soul Diaspora. Uh, and it's about voodoo, and it's about uh, good love gone bad and everything. And this part is about this, this one of the characters in the story. Her name is Dorothy. And she had been studying voodoo uh, from this lady that uh, was the voodoo queen. And so uh, she had learned as much as she could from her. So she decided to sell her soul to the devil for more power in voodoo. And so we'll pick it up there.
Without lifting his head, Eli said, Yes, ma'am, I understand. How much will it cost? Dorothy allowed herself to briefly feel the hurt and ostracism that she had experienced at the hands of Suki and her other classmates in parochial school before she dropped out on her 18th birthday on Christmas Eve. She was to graduate that spring. She didn't want their diploma. Dorothy was going to find another teacher. She had a hunger for a different kind of knowledge. She wanted to learn how to get evens, Stevens. Dorothy had studied conjuring roots under a root woman called the Queen Pen. Dorothy had learned all she had to offer and wanted more. She had heard about musicians going to the crossroads and selling their souls to the devil to become master musicians. Why wouldn't the same work for voodoo? Dorothy began to do research. She was determined to find the crossroads that Robert Johnson sold his soul at. In talking to old blues musicians, she narrowed it down to not Clarksburg, Mississippi, but Rosedale, Mississippi, down by the river where Highway 8 intersects Highway 1. So on Christmas Eve, the morning of her 18th birthday, Dorothy set off hitchhiking to Rosedale, Mississippi, to sell her soul to the devil. She got there at nightfall and made herself as comfortable as she could and began to wait. At midnight, the sound of an approaching vehicle began to drown out the normal sounds of nighttime country. Loud music heralded its coming with flair. It was coming fast. It was coming in hot. White, bright LED lights flooded the surface darkness. A lone star rose slightly above an almost full moon, giving soft light to the heavens. Van Halen's Running with the Devil blasted from the vehicle's Rockford Fosgate sound system. It was a suicide red T.J. Wrangler Rubicon with a trim level of unabated decadence. It did a squilling hook slide into a figure eight bisecting the lines of the crossroads while doing so. The Rubicon came to a stop in the middle of the intersection. A figure jumped out of the Jeep. It was a young, dark, brown-skinned Jamaican. He was well-built, tall, and wearing baggy jeans, tan Timberlands, white wife beater, and bling. His long dreads were past his shoulders. He was smoking a spliff. A large dog accompanied him. It was a three-headed Rottweiler. Each head was huge, ferocious, and lethal. They wanted to maul something so bad that they snapped and bit at one another. As he approached, Dorothy felt a strong desire to fall on her knees and worship him. She was penetrated by his love. Dorothy fought the urge with all of her hatred. It was considerable. She was full of hate. Her cauldron of lethal venom was embryonic when put alongside this ancient, once celestial being's arsenal of death. She felt small and lost. The real deal had just arrived. It was the father of lies. He was ready to do what he does best, tell lies. The young Jamaican came to an arm's length stop in front of Dorothy. Sit, Cerebus! He commands the three-headed beast. It immediately obeyed. What are you doing at the crossroads, girl, this late at night? He asked as he handed Dorothy the spliff. Dorothy took a big hit, causing fire to flame at the end of the spliff. 
Holding the smoke in and squinting up at the Jamaican, she asked with lungs full of mind-altering THC, Are you the devil? I came here to sell my soul. Dorothy took another powerful toke and passed the spliff back to the young man without blinking an eye. He took the spliff from Dorothy and flicked it to Cerebus. The middle head caught it and swallowed it. The other head, snapping and growling, wanted a treat too. They like pot. They get high and it's funny as shit, he said. And to answer your question, yes, I am Satan, the adversary, Lucifer, the one who walked on the stones of fire, the covering cherub, the worship leader, the devil, the dragon who brought down a third of the host of heaven. I have many names. As he talked, he began to transform. He became Asian, African, European, South American, Hispanic, Native American, and Samoan, Hawaiian, and all the colors and ethnicities in the world. His age changed also from old to young to infant. His gender changed also, male to female and back and forth. His voice changed with each morph. It was like watching and listening to a beautiful human rainbow. Red, black, yellow, brown, white, and all the variations these combinations create. The whole time he was talking to Dorothy, what instrument do you want to play? Dorothy answered with bitter, ice-cold anger in her voice, fuck a bunch of guitars, I want revenge. Satan said, one of you humans once said that the big payback is a dish best served cold. I tend to agree. I too want revenge. A settling of accounts, so to speak. But I wait. My plan is in motion. Dorothy said, I want it now. Satan is still changing into different forms of humanity. Satan said, I don't need to make a deal with you. I've already got you. Your soul came to me at birth when you saw the doctor, nurses, and the support staff recoil when they saw you. Your mother's rejection of you sealed the deal. You were mine from Jump Street, but I can use you in my business. You've got all the right stuff. He began to laugh in a dark voice full of music that she had never heard before. Intuitively, she knew that it was a song the stars sang at creation. He began to grow taller and brighter. He was on fire. He had become a tall, burning, beautiful, multicolored creature with male and female sexual organs. It had six wings. The air all around them was intense heat. Dorothy was sweating so bad that her clothes were a sodden mess. She knew that she had to take them off. She stripped awkwardly and fell to her knees in front of this glorious creature. It swept her into its embrace with its middle wings. Dorothy's insides had turned into boiling jelly. Hovering off the ground, the angel of light wrapped its lower and upper wings around Dorothy. As the feathered cocoon was closing, it sang to her, I got something to show you. Dorothy's brain boiled over. And that was part of Earl's short story, as he said, all about voodoo. So, And I'm not going to quote that song. I'm sure Earl, I don't think Earl's ever heard that song, but... Uh, pop uh, song became famous by uh, one of the many. I'll let you probably hear it in the car. I got it on my iPod. So, and part of the song is "Who Do You Voodoo, Bitch." Uh-huh. So, it, it's a fun song. It's in that aspect of almost a. It's a rap 
mm-hmm. and you probably wouldn't believe who actually sings it too. Mm-hmm. But um, it comes from the game Dead Island. It just one of those things that just caught on with fans and just kind of mm-hmm. spread, but yet no one really hears. It's just <laughs> right. one of those. This is a song that just came to mind when he, when I hear that. You sure. Know? So uh, that seems. You got any more? to say or or well there's always more to say but i think that you one should always leave their audience wanting more and hopefully that's what we're doing that they'll want more and i just want to say you guys have been a great audience whether you're in seattle new york city or wherever martinsburg and christopher i just want to thank you again for being the quality human being that you are and uh thank you for this opportunity to share no problem. We'll probably have Earl back on at some other point to share more tales and adventures that he's been on. So that that way, like with our Kenton Wagner interview, that hopefully when we meet up with Earl again, we'll have more to speak of and more tales to say uh, for everybody out there. If you want to hear more of Earl that in reference to what he's done in reference to the program, you can always check our backlog by going to our website thelongcoatmafia.podbean.com and listen to the several performances he has given us over the past two years. Not to mention if you want to send Earl any good wishes and so forth and so on, you can always do so by sending us an email at longcoatmafia@gmail.com. Don't forget you can also listen to us through iTunes or Apple Podcasts as they wish us to promote now. Also, if you choose not to use any Apple products, we are available through Google Play Music. Plus, we're on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash Podcast. We're on Twitter, which is Mafia, and Instagram at Mafia as well. Yeah. So feel free to message us, tell us what you think. If you have any questions for Earl, just send them to the show, and we'll be more than happy to pass them on to Earl. And... We'll read the answers and the emails on our on an upcoming episode. Thank you so much, folks. And any last words, Earl? I would like to invite you all to come see uh, me perform. It's not a snoozer, and I'm surrounded with a lot of other very gifted, talented artists. Um, too many to name right now, and we put on shows and come see us perform. It's not uh, it's not a snoozer. I promise you. Good chance. You and where where's the event going to be at again? It's going to be at the old train station, the one that's coming up uh, in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, at the old train station on August the nineteenth, and it's going to be from seven to nine. The show, and then we're going to play music afterwards and mingle, and uh, there will probably be a wine test tasting. I don't want to announce that until we are uh, sure about what we're doing. But the show is definite. It's set for, again, August the 19th at the old train station in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. And we're going to have a blast. Like I tell all you listeners out there in regards to the event, a card is always subject to change. So either way, uh, is there uh, admission, like a, a cover charge that you know of for this event? Well, we're probably going to have a, a cover charge. Again, all the proceeds will go to help this family in Haiti. We want to get them a house. Um, uh, do you know what the cover charge is going to be? It would be anywhere from 5 to $10. It won't be exorbitant. 
So now you heard it here, folks, and uh, I hope you guys do. If you're in the Shepherdstown area, you do attend this event on August 9th. 19th. 19th. Mm -hmm. And uh, as Earl said, all the funds go to a good cause. And we'll see you next time. And now, the Long Coat Mafia Podcast. It's a Long Coat Mafia Podcast! (laughs) You screaming up. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this super entertaining, super long Q&A interview. If you wish to hear uh, other stuff that Earl has been a part of uh, that we recorded in the past, please let us know in the conversation, and I'll go back into our archives and see what we have of Earl's that uh, I'm able to dig up and uh, share with all of you. But you have to engage with us to let us know, either with good pods, uh, Podbean, or if uh, I decide to check to see what's going on with our Apple reviews or Spotify reviews. But uh, I'm always recommending good pods or Podbean, um, mainly because with good pods, they, they have a better interface with uh, uh, reviews and so forth and so on and ways to comment and share amongst their platform uh, various podcasts, including ours. Uh, with Podbean, you could always like an episode, leave comments or reviews. Uh, that way, you, you're always engaging us. It allows us to rank higher on those platforms. Uh, I have to check Apple Podcasts. It's been a while since uh, we've checked reviews or done reviews. We might do that uh, this next year when we're talking uh, uh, numbers and all that with Sasha to see how we're doing with that. You can always send us an email uh, with, to us with uh, at longcoatmafia at gmail.com or leave us a comment on our Facebook page. Now, let me just say this. Uh, the event, I don't know that Earl mentioned in this uh, episode. I don't know the results of it or what happened to it. So, since it's been a while, I doubt that if I talk to Earl, uh, if by chance uh, he even remembers what the numbers were, uh, let's just say it was a very successful event and uh, uh a decent amount was uh, raised for this charity. Uh, I know that it would have went straight to the charity. Uh, I trust Earl in regards to that. Um, so either way, let us know. Let us know if you like this. Uh, rate us and all that. Tell us what you enjoy. And uh, hopefully we'll see you next year with brand new episodes and everything else. Uh, what more can you say? If you want to support us here at this show... Uh, you can do so. All the ways you could support us are in the description, ranging from W Energy to uh, Patreon, our tip jar, and everything else. Even supporting our, uh, I want to say, our co-creator and a long-time former co-host, Big Candy. Uh, his, I believe, his uh, Teespring link or his T-shirt link is still in our description as always. And you could always buy a t-shirt off you with if you got any uh, like Visa gift cards or something for Christmas. Buy a t-shirt off uh, you know f- from uh, our former co-host um, if it's still active, or if you have enough, buy some W off of uh, 
uh, off of us using our code LCM Podcast. You get ten percent off. Um, or you know, leave a couple bucks in our tip chart and or something like that. Uh, but let me say this: if money's tight, even after the holidays, we get it. We understand the best way you could do and support our show is by sharing, liking, listening to us all the way through, engaging with us. That is one of the best ways you can uh, support the show because. Uh, it's one of the best ways you can support. And for I, as someone who is low income himself, uh, I understand. So I, I, as much as we try to hawk Dubby, our tip jars and everything else, and I know I kept saying that uh, I should be uploading more to YouTube, the, the unedited uh, podcast between me and Sasha. I have to do that. I might do that uh, next year. That way we have something to uh, post up. Uh, please remind me, folks. Please engage with us. It's the best way to keep everything going. We know that we are a uh, small podcast, a least listened to. So, And please, even though uh, things did not uh, work out uh in any way, shape, or form with uh, some large creators that are on various platforms. We do have a couple of irons in the fire. We'll try to keep our uh, our our uh, Zoom account activated so that way when we are ready, we could still get folks in on some action and do some recording on our own. And uh, that way we have uh, videos outside me and Sasha uh, chatting away. And that way, uh, you could see those conversations in the entirety and everything else. Uh, we don't have to really involve, evolve, uh, involve or whatever uh, Skype anymore and that hassle. Uh, if even if we can't afford to keep Zoom going, we will try to at least get a, a half hour conversation with somebody to check in on them and see what's going on. So. Uh, that's probably in another month or two in regards to that. Uh, but uh, we'll try to keep a lot of things going on. And hopefully next year we'll grow. We'll get some more conversations going on with me and Sasha. We'll, we'll have a lot more interviews and a lot more people on this show. So uh, that being said, enough of me rambling. Uh, subscribe to the channel. Uh, engage with us. And let us know what you thought of our conversation with Earl it uh, was like and if you enjoyed it if you want to hear more uh, i'll post more uh in regards to the heck i have a whole mess of episodes from the chocolate festival we did back in i think 2016 or 2017 so um we'll see uh if you want to hear that we'll use those as like uh when our uh lost media stuff falls through we could use that on a uh weekly basis while we get things ready so uh, let us know if you want to hear that so take care everybody have a safe new year uh, drive safe be safe and if you need to call a an uber a taxi or what have you please do so i want you all to be safe and have fun um and if you go as always if you're going i know this time of year can be some tough times for you not just financially mentally if you need help Dial those helplines. Visit friends. You know, but if your friends are toxic, 
please find somebody that will support you and talk to you and get you out of that funk. Mental health is important. So either way, take care. I'm the Reverend Godfather. And as always, I'm a gamer. I'm wearing a bikini. See you next time on the Long Coat Mafia.